Welcome back. Last week we spoke about all the news and interest in identity resolution and privacy tech and this week we are focusing on customer experience because we've seen quite a few interesting announcements in the news this week in that space. Recently Gartner predicted that 89% of companies are going to be competing solely on customer experience and obviously spending on CX is going to increase exponentially to meet that need. Um let's look at some of the interesting announcements we've had this week from companies like Freshworks, Sprinkler, Wipro and several others. Uh you'll find the links to all the stories we're going to talk about in our show notes. But let me start by asking David and Anand to set the context for today's discussion by telling us a little bit more about this complete customer experience ecosystem that marketers are striving to create with their stack today to to deal with this future that's driven by CX. What are the essential components of that? Welcome to the Talking Stack Season 3, where your panelists David Robb, Anand Talker, Chitraiah, and the occasional special guest catch you up on the most impactful Martech concepts, trends, and perspectives. The the ecosystem of all customer experience is about as broad as you can get because it includes of course all customer experience, so it's marketing, sales, service, everything all pulled together when you look at a lot of the companies that work in customer experience they tend to specifically focus on customer service often those terms are kind of used interchangeably and a lot of the vendors that we're talking about here also are really very service oriented vendors so there's a kind of a very broad definition and that's the one that we use when we're feeling sort of full of ourselves we want to say yes marketers will rule the world and then there's that much more narrow definition that has to do with kind of call centers and you know getting people happy when they call you when your true customers call you with a problem so you have to distinguish that uh, i think what's in that ecosystem certainly in the narrow ecosystem is specifically the cx or the customer experience software so the service so that has to do with knowing my interactions what a CRM system would do you know what's this person done with me before uh understanding my product situation so what products am i selling what do they, what do they have to offer for me and then understanding how to solve problems so a lot of the knowledge and the chatbots and the robot things that look up answers to questions and and resolve specific issues those are all kind of core components of that narrow customer service version of customer experience of course when you get into the broader definition then it's pretty much everything then it's any communication you have with the customer anything the customer needs from you so that's all of your marketing automation and all your other CRMs so your sales bits of it all of your personalization a lot of these customer experience systems have heavy personalization heavy auto- automation artificial intelligence for predictive because that's often determining what the next best action wants to be for a customer so there's there, there is an extremely broad definition to it and at the broadest it's pretty much the entire not just martech stack but but the entire customer facing stack yeah customer experience is the new digital transformation so i i wanted to you know kind of add to what david was talking about with without you know outside of the technology piece which i see where mm-hmm. a lot of people you know set up stacks and you know revamp their martech but unfortunately it misses out when you actually have people at the retail front or sales front uh actually engaging with the customer it it just get, becomes disconnected after that which which needs to be repaired we are really challenged by the fact that where do you start you, you we already have this struggle with how many technologies we have out there but if you think about trying to pull this together in terms of being successful with customer experiences and you start technology first uh this is where actually a lot of companies go wrong uh believe it or not 
um, the real reason uh, many of the brands actually are successful in customer experience or customer experience efforts is one, either they have a culture of people that automatically are serving, you know, customers directly. T-Mobile as 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 a really uh, very often cited example, you know, trying to use people over technology to try to navigate customer success or customer services. Technology magnifies your efforts. It's challenging, and I always recommend that people pick one thing they want to fix about a customer's experience and then go from there. If you try to do this, like, broadly, uh, especially if not done any customer experience types of efforts, uh, then that is going to be a problem. Second big problem that a lot of companies should avoid is you cannot outsource your customer experience initiatives. Um, you know, I'm sure consultants and agencies are probably hating me for saying that, but you know, their best supporting role in a lot of this is to be able to bring experiences from other you know places. But you have to actually know your customer and understand you know what they're going through. Anand, thanks for highlighting that gap between technology, people, partners, and the actual, uh, you know, last mile experience of the customer. This is actually a crucial area of building that seamless customer experience because, uh, you know, you have to ensure that the technology and the strategy, the marketing strategy and the marketing technology, uh, the human story as well as the enabling platforms all need to line up. And in that context, let's get to the first news item we're going to talk about this week, which is Wipro's acquisition of uh, Rational Interaction. Wipro, as we know, is a tech company, and Rational is a CX consulting firm. So this understanding of the tech side of things, plus the ability to deliver it in a way that CMOs can relate to and, uh, you know, they can take all that technical prowess then and actually implement it in actual marketing outcomes. Is that something that we'll see more of from vendors in the MarTech space? You know, one of my previous companies was acquired by a similar, you know, technology company. And one of their biggest strategies, or they realized, was that not only did they give them a foothold in a different area of business, because now technology is much more, much of the marketing and growth is driven by some technology implementation. Uh, but to go beyond that and to say, okay, well, we can help you with the business side of this fence. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was marketing operations and working with, you know, trying to get uh, uh, the marketing uh, team leaders and VPs. Now, you know, obviously this is, uh, you know, going, this is extending into that capacity. So we'll, we'll see more of this, right? So now you've got agencies, strategic consulting firms, and now technology implementation firms vying for the same exact business, you know, my optimism is that CMOs will become high-performing CEOs, right? This is a, a thesis of being in marketing technology for a long time. If a rational interaction can help, uh, you know, start that conversation and then carry the CMO into other parts of the organization, that's where there would be an incredible amount of value uh, to bring in someone like that to help not only just the team, uh, and not just the CMO in their short-term goals, but a CMO in terms of mm. their career goals later on. Correct. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, speaking of CMO-friendly tech as well, there is also this piece of news that came in from Sprinkler. Um, over 400 new feature enhancements across their five uh, platform components, uh, their CX platform components. Now, that sounds pretty overwhelming considering how suboptimally most MarTech platforms are already being utilized, okay, with more than half the features never even being experimented with, let alone used regularly. But what I'm highlighting in this story here is simply 
uh, how um, you know how they structure the platform itself we were talking in the last segment about making uh, the narrative from tech companies more user friendly for the cmos and i think the way Ga- uh, sprinkler has uh, structured their product with modules for marketing advertising social analytics and customer care uh, brings a, a sort of simplicity to the structure so it's easy for the cmo to visualize this platform and the core areas that it could possibly impact but it's it's the customer facing bit of it so they're not claiming to do a lot of the back uh, room data processing that you do just for example in a cdp or some of your other systems right they're really saying we're all the places you touch the customer, you want to deliver, of course, the famous unified customer experience. So we now we give you one system that at least theoretically enables you to do that. And I, I forget if Sprinkler has grown through acquisition or not. So as with all these suites, you have to look a little closely to see are they really unified or not. But we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they are. So at least certainly you want to have the potential for all of your systems to be talking to each other. And they do have a lot of collaboration features and content sharing features and a lot of the things that let you unify the bits of it that should, in fact, be shared across channels. So they're uh, you know, moving in the right direction, as you say, that, that simplicity really is a good thing. Yeah, well, at least the least you can do is have simplicity if you've just made 400 new features. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's been rare. I, I've not seen anybody talk about how many features in, in a press release in a very, very long time. Uh, so, you know, looking through this, I think they still stay with their core. Uh, right, I mean, social media interaction or very real, very real or near real-time conversations with uh, the customers is still core. They're not trying to go too far away from that, which I think is a good thing. Um, if they want to, as they continue, I, I don't think they grew too much from acquisitions. By the way, David, I think they did do. They are really d- deliberate about the integrations and the relationships they have with those uh, those partners in the ecosystem, which I think is useful. Oh, I bet they'll shudder after all this effort if they hear themselves referred to as just a social media platform and trying so hard to position themselves as a customer experience platform. <laughs> but, you know, but that point you made is very relevant. Uh, you know, I do see also this angle of, uh, you know, having a solution that goes out and brings all that data about voice of customer back, which is exactly what this other news piece is about as well. Uh, you know, Verint expanding its Adobe partnership to support more personalized customer Customer journeys, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because it's two different experience platforms that are partnering. Uh, but Verint is focused on collecting this voice of customer data across, um, you know, all these many, many platforms. And Adobe Experience Cloud, of course, which uh, you know, it enables all aspects of uh, campaign uh, design and delivery uh, um, uh, for that last mile. So, what value do you think they would be creating for Adobe users with this this partnership? That's all it is, and that's all it is. It's, it's just it's a data source, and it's a good data source. And voice of customer data is important data, so it's important to have that in there available to the experience cloud. But it's it, it's just one source. So I didn't uh, pay too much attention to that announcement for that reason. It's like oh, here's another uh, you know, here's another alliance. But certainly in terms of making the data available to experience cloud that much more rich, it's a good thing. Yeah, I've worked with Variant in the past, and uh, you know, again, this is another company that's stayed very much in their core, uh, which has been beneficial uh, dis- despite whatever the market values uh, with regards to this. But obviously now it's hot uh, hot as heck to, 
you know, do a uh, voice of customer and certainly be around that. Uh, Adobe really doesn't capture a lot of this. Uh, so to David's point, um, so this type of partnership could be very valuable on both fronts uh, for variant customers who are looking to, you know, expand, you know, customer and get customer support engagement, uh, you know, to other parts of the go-to-market strategy for companies and then vice versa. Another term you're hearing a lot about in the context of CX is journey orchestration. So this, uh, you know, let's take this next news item about customer journey orchestration engine Thunderhead, which announced Thunder Bay. Uh, this is supposed to be an AI-driven platform to create individual-level optimized cross-channel journeys. Okay, quite a mouthful there, David. You wrote in your newsletter as well that the system deals with the all the interdependencies between events, history, time, and path, which typically overwhelms those conventional methods. Now, what did you mean by that? Enjoyed the show so far? Then subscribe or follow us and never miss an episode. Go to martechadvisor.com slash talking stack for show notes, resources, transcripts, and sponsorship information. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, and we thank you for your continued support. Now, back to the show. So that's been the problem. We've been talking about AI kind of taking over the marketer's job and designing campaigns and doing all these things and coming up with the next best action, which is the simpler way to put it. For years, and AI is really good at doing sort of one thing at a time, so can it predict what piece of content you're going to read? Yeah. Can it predict when you might respond, maybe even when you might make your next purchase? Yeah. But to take all those little bits of information and put them together to design the optimal campaign is a super complicated task. And in fact, you cannot just string them all like pearls on a string and, and have the problem be solved it's, it's, it, because there's way too much interaction going on to actually figure out what the right thing to do is for each person in the context of all their previous interactions and all the other things that are going on. So Thunderhead is at least claiming that they have found some ways to make that larger, richer sort of contextual analysis possible to actually figure out what the true best thing is. And I know they've been working on this for years. They talked about that in the press release, and you know I've known them for a long time and discussed it with them many times. So you know they have, in fact, done some pretty clever things to make that possible. So of course, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. We see other people chasing down this path as well. They're not the only ones, because the problem itself has been understood to be a problem for a while, and there are other folks who are trying to find similar solutions. And you know, they make progress slowly, incrementally. It does not really something where there's this big flash of light or thunder, if you will, that just suddenly solves it. But slowly we are getting there and, and the systems are getting better at designing these more complicated both campaigns, which by definition apply to multiple people, and individual level optimization, which is what Thunderhead is, is claiming to do here. So we're going to look at each customer, we're really going to figure out. It's really just next best action, but it's next best action in a more advanced way. And finally, in our CEX News of the Week segment, we have an announcement from Freshworks, uh, the customer engagement software company, about acquiring AnswerIQ, which is a provider of ML and AI for enterprise-scale customer service. So AnswerIQ's ML will connect millions of customer interactions to generate automated self-service Q&As. 
and improved next step escalation so basically this ai uh, this is the use of ai to inform better customer service um is this new and why should we care david usually you have customer service reps who are struggling to give answers to a series of yeah you know, i mean obviously a customer a lot of customer service reps aren't usually working with just one customer at a time they generally are working with several at a time um, and uh, try to give their attention to one, um, and this is to make sure that there's some efficient cost efficiencies, which may or may not work depending on how well they're trained, and of course the you know the technologies they have at their disposal. But I suspect that that's what this is related to is you know trying to bring better expertise to each customer service person or you know someone anyone who's related to customer. Uh, you know, who is interacting with the customer in a service capacity. But. Because the, the customer service rep has a really hard job, and, and to train them all up on all your products and all the possible solutions really is not a practical thing, you know, if you're selling anything more complex than paper clips. So you have to have the AI system help them out and figure out what to tell the customer. Uh, both to solve the problem and, and then beyond just solving the problem to you know, build that relationship and, you know, what's the next thing you could, you could offer them and, and how, you know, when do you make an offer, when don't you make an offer? So the systems have been doing that for years, but traditionally with kind of simple rule-based trees and things that are really hard to manage and fall down when the complexity gets too great. So AI just is clearly a great solution if the AI works properly to give more intelligent answers, more nuanced, if you will, answers then you can get out of the simple rule-based thing. So everybody has to add one of these things. And Freddie is as good a name as any, I suppose. I guess it's, I don't know where the D came from, but there's fresh and AI, whatever. You know, they didn't hire me to write their name. Yeah, go take a look at some of these screens. It is a, it is insane. And so you it's can appreciate nice more what little bit that each little bit that can help can magnify, you know, the opportunities for brands to, you know, elevate themselves as a as a customer centric or customer experience driven company. Yeah, and we do yeah, see I mean, a lot. We see a lot these days about people talking about you know the, the the employee experience, or in this case maybe the CSR experience, where companies are beginning to actually recognize, oh yeah, you know, there's this whole other experience management bit to it, which is the other side of the screen, and, that's right. and they pay more attention to that, and because of course you know, I mean, even simply just the efficiency of the reps, you know, what you're paying them and, and getting the most value for, for that salary is really important. And there's a lot of leverage in that, but again, beyond that, turnover is a huge issue. You talk about mm -hmm. the training, <clears throat> you know, if you can reduce the turnover and you get better trained reps, they're vastly more productive than, than the people who are just starting out work. Um, and, and then, of course, ultimately the effectiveness of each interaction, if you can add value to the interaction, improve the customer lifetime value by having a positive experience instead mm -hmm. of a negative experience, there's, there's a lot of leverage to be had by actually giving reps the tools to do their jobs better. So an eventful week in customer experience uh, from multiple perspectives. We've talked about the customer service angle, the marketer angle, and some others. And there's also more related stories that we can't even cover on this episode because of a lack of time. But listeners can find uh, more links in the show notes below. So let's also quickly wrap up, uh, before we wrap up, talk about one other interesting item this week from the CDP world before we also uh, do a fail for the week. 
So this week we have news from Lightix about the integration with Google Cloud BigQuery, which will allow customers to move massive amounts of customer and raw data into Google's cloud-based data warehouse environment uh, for real-time analytics. So David, what is this telling us about the direction in which enterprise CDPs are evolving? And how is the move to Google Cloud going to impact anything for marketers that actually use enterprise-scale CDPs? Well, because before it was a lot harder to move massive amounts of data and, and detailed data and, and to have the flexibility and the scalability that, that Google Cloud is going to provide you. So that's exactly what it does is it makes it easier to deal with larger volumes of data, which we sometimes just sort of assume these days, oh, the computers are so fast and so powerful and, you know, we don't have to worry about the mechanics of this stuff anymore. But that's really not true. It's still our big issues in how much data you move and how quickly and how cost effective it is to move those volumes and how you can access it and process it and all that. So, you know, Google Cloud is, is a super, obviously a very, very powerful database uh, environment. There are multiple things inside Google Cloud. So that, that's what it gives them. It gives them and it gives their customers the option if you're really big to do things that you simply couldn't do before simply because of volume issues, scale issues. It's been generally talked about platform as a service. Uh, you know, I think the, the Google, Amazon, Microsoft, or Azure, you know, kind of uh, plays out there will be along those lines. Like, hey, we can bring your organization, your technology, and give it a boost, or have a foundation you don't have to worry about, and then you work on, uh, you know, the, solving the specific problems that are out there, rather than trying to, um, you know, have you know, rather than Google say trying to solve a marketing problem and a sales problem and this other thing, and trying to make cloud work for that. So, uh, yeah, I, we should see more of these partnerships happen, uh, and more of these types of announcements occur. I mean, you're absolutely right that. There's more here than just the data management. The, the AI capabilities and the visualization capabilities that you get with Google Cloud are a major, major advantage. What I think we're seeing here is, at least on Linux' point specifically, is the thought that, well, you know, there's this core CDP functionality of managing data, kind of the mechanics, and we can throw in the AI and the visualization as also sort of core capabilities. And then there's the CX angle, if you will, of you know, campaign development and, and, and orchestration and all the things that we do after we built the database. And you know, some CDPs, of course, just build the database, and some CDPs have those broader set of functions. Analytics is definitely in the category of the CDPs have the broader set of functions. So what they've done is they've said, you know what? Let's let Google Cloud handle that data management bit, and because they're going to do it better than we are anyhow and more cost effectively. And so let us focus on the customer facing bits, the campaign bits, and the advanced analytics, because uh, analytics certainly has its own analytics. It's very good at that, at predictive and such. So so it's, it's again, this sort of a, of a uh, bifurcation of the CDP market we've talked about for a long time, where some vendors focus more on the customer facing bits and some vendors focus more on the data bits. And it's analytics in particular saying, yeah, you know, we're going to do that. We're, we're just going to, let, let Google be Google and do what they do better than we're ever going to do it. And, let, and we'll focus on the stuff that we really want to do best. So is this the first time that a CDP is actually doing this, moving these volumes of data onto something like a Google Cloud? No, no. A lot of these guys have an integration with those kinds of platforms. From a conceptual point of view, it's just another data uh, destination, right? You pull your data in. 
through whatever your collectors you have, your connections, and then you got to put it someplace, and you can put it internally. You can. A lot of these guys will push the data off into, uh, in, well, a, any of the big uh, clouds, the, the big data service. A lot of them sit on Redshift or S3 buckets for unstructured or, uh, you know, a big query, whatever the vendor is. That, that's actually pretty common. So the fact that these guys have done that integration in itself is not unique, but again, it's a good indicator of people realizing that they're going to focus a little bit more on their particular capabilities rather than trying to build out everything themselves. So let's end with, uh, you know, a fail for the week. Data breach shows Clearview AI sold facial recognition to private companies. A bit of irony in this story as well, David, you covered it on your newsletter. Let's, so let's hear it from you. Uh, so Clearview AI, for those of you who have been focused on any of the number of other disasters we have to worry about these days, uh, is a company that scraped three billion faces from places like Facebook and Twitter and so forth, basically in violation of their terms of service, but somehow those guys didn't notice and didn't cut them off. We don't know how that's possible. And built a big database, apparently using some very powerful facial recognition technology that was way better at dealing with faces that were partly obscured or at a bad angle or, you know, weren't basically mug shots, and then turned around and sold it to police forces all over the U.S., which was a little controversial, and the New York Times found out about it, and there was a big front-page story, and they suddenly became very controversial. But part of their defense is, oh, we're only selling this to, you know, the local police, and, and your local police are, of course, your friends. Uh, so then someone, ironically, and of course, they and we're totally secured, and, and you know, we have the best security in the universe. No one could ever possibly break into our databases. Well, somebody stole their client list, and, and we don't know how that happened, and released it to the press. And it turned out that a lot of their users were not local police. They were uh, the immigration agency in the U.S. They were foreign intelligence services. They were private companies like... Uh, Macy's and Walmart and a bunch of other ones who at least were testing it. A lot of them were free tests. They weren't necessarily paying customers. Um, but so they were shown to be at least trying to sell their product way beyond what they were claiming that they were selling it for. So, yeah, there's some fails going on here. These are not people that I'm buying lunch for anytime soon. Sobering indeed. The irony doesn't really take away from the enormity of that fail. With that, it's a wrap this week. We will be back soon with another selection of MarTech news, concepts, trends that matter. So until next time, thanks for joining us. Enjoyed the talking stack? Show us some love by subscribing or reviewing us on SoundCloud, iTunes, as well as sharing this episode on social. Find more episodes on martechadvisor.com slash talking stack. Be sure to join us next time. And thanks for listening.